Hello and welcome to The 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm Darren. And I'm Andrew. And this week we have a special episode. This week we're covering a This Just In, a new arrival on the list at number 116. It is Josh Cooley's Toy Story 4. Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> well, statistically, the odds are actually quite in its favor. Uh, Toy Story 1 yeah, is no. currently on the list. Uh, Toy Story 2 was on the list, but has since dropped out. And Toy Story 3 is also still on the list. So, it's higher uh, than Toy Story, right? Or uh, is that wrong? No, I think Toy Story is higher than Toy Story 3, to be fair. Toy Story 4 is currently between the two. Ah. Um, but yeah, we'll get, on to, we'll get on to ranking it in a moment. Uh, but yeah, so... Some first impressions, actually, because this this is a relatively new entry on the list. It opened at the box office about a week and a half ago. It's performed reasonably well. There was some minor controversy in the States uh, where it opened below expectations. People had expected it to take about $150 million. It only ended up taking $120 million in its opening weekend. It did have the highest grossing opening weekend of a G-rated film ever, which is quite surprising, actually. But only because they don't... Still below expectations? Still, yeah, well, this is this is where we live with Disney. You'll have noticed, actually, that Disney have started reining in the expectations for The Lion King, uh, which is opening sort of later this month. They've begun sort of trailing downwards on their sort of, like, uh, bravado sort of, uh, we expect it to take all the money. Now it's it will just take most of the money. should ask the cinemas really nicely if they'll charge extra for tickets. <laughs> yeah, and just sort of get that up there as well. What's interesting, though, is that... Um, you need to put it in 3D. <laughs> Do you know how many G-rated animated films there have been released in this entire decade? So since 2010. G-rated movies aren't my thing, Darren. So I'll, <laughs> I'll, um, I'll defer to you. Uh, there have only been 12 uh, animated films that have actually managed to get a G rating, in fact. The previous 11 included Toy Story 3, Nomeo and Juliet, Cars 2. stats and lists. Yeah, I know. Wow. On this section of the podcast. No, I just find it fascinating that, like, the G rate. Oh, I know. I find it fascinating. I've had my fun, and that's all that matters. But no, I just find it interesting that, like, the G rating has become a rarity in sort of, like, in modern movie making. The point where apparently they'll even add a little bit of edge to, to kind of movies to give them a PG rating, because kids don't generally want to go and see G rated films. Right. Um, but yeah, so it's sort of interesting in that sense. It yeah, was... I'd imagine if it was a kid's choice, yeah, they wouldn't go see a, a, a G-rated movie. But the movie, the the when they do go see a, a G-rated movie, it's not their choice. No, they're, they're at the just... age where it's their parents <laughs> who determine these things, who are making the decision. Um, it didn't catch Finding Dory or The Incredibles, but it did. It's the seventh highest grossing animated film ever. It's trailing slightly well, behind, like so far. I right? know, so far, yeah, and it's trailing slightly behind Toy Story three. It's in the upper tier of. Pixar. Um, and it's worth noting, actually, you may find this... There, in- and as as we were leaving, there were people coming in. Yeah. So the, 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 like the, re- the revenue bar is, 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 is rising. I think it was where, where we saw it, it was showing every half hour. That's it, exactly. Um, and it's worth noting that it's actually doing very well internationally as well. It's breaking uh, records internationally. It's underperformed in the US, but it's overperformed everywhere else as well. Um, yep, performances on the half hour. We saw it on the second, mo- it's second Monday in release. No, cinema was sold out. It's funny. Like, it, it, you go to the cinema a lot more than I do, so maybe you have experience with this. But it's one of the few things that generally starts on time. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like getting getting a flight or taking a bus, yeah. like as likely to to start on time as the as a cinema screening. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it is it is again once every half hour. Worth noting, you may find this kind of interesting. 
in China, of all places, um, it had it underperformed because it opened opposite Spirited Away. Spirited Op- Away. Spirited Away. What? The Maizaki film had its first release in China uh, last weekend. Toy Story 4 opened how against come? it. I, like, um, how how would it taken so long? Did it need to be heavily edited? Um, because it, it contained seditious uh, themes and subtext, Andrew. China, China very studiously guard their box office, particularly from international films and stuff like that. There's a lot of argument about how to get access. In fact, like that's one of the reasons why there are so many Chinese co-productions now is in large part to appease the censors in China. But like, is also, it that they is it um, anti-Japanese kind of sentiment? Possibly. I mean, I suspect that it's also because like Studio Ghibli didn't wouldn't have the clout of say sony like so you know and you like those international studios like legendary who are doing stuff like making the great wall you know the movie with matthew with matt damon in it where matt damon saves china which exists primarily so that like they can have a movie they oh, release yeah. in china uh because the chinese co-production yeah and then uh, like i think we've spoken about this before like movies like warcraft are huge yeah in china as well big monster movies toy story 4 unfortunately not but yeah so toy story 4 as well, o- there, it's 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 part of the trade policy. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that, <laughs> to make, make make movies that uh, that uh, that Chinese audiences <laughs> are going to buy because they 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 won't buy our other stuff. <laughs> well, you, you you joke, but yes, apparently that's one of the big issues with Trump's trade tariff is that it will actually affect independent films seeking distribution in China. But anyway, welcome to Toy Story Four. Um, we'll be talking about Toy Story Four. This is an interesting film, Andrew. I assume you've seen the previous three Toy Stories. I have, I think. Yes. Um, and I, I want to ask this question because this is the question that sort of comes up a great deal in discussions of I Toy, Story Toy Story 2. Oh, okay. I forget Toy Story 2. I'm almost certain I've seen it. but it just, I think it's just been so long. Toy Story 4 is the one with Kelsey Grammer as Stinky Pete the Prospector. You said Toy Story 4. Toy Story 2, sorry. Toy Story 2 is the one with Kelsey Grammer as Stinky Pete the Prospector. With uh, the, the chicken, the toy barn, Woody's going to be sold. He's going to be taken overseas to a toy fair in Japan. That's where obviously, Jesse is introduced? Yes, Jesse and Bullseye are first introduced in that one. Okay. Okay, yeah. obviously it made quite an impression. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I want to ask you this, actually, because this is something that's been discussed a great deal, talking about this film in particular. I I've had people. I will be able to answer very well. <laughs> um, <laughs> I literally have no notes. Um, but yeah, is Toy Story 4, in inverted commas, necessary following on from Toy Story 3? And is any movie necessary? And does it matter at all? Well, well, no. Um, they're 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 not um necessary. Nor nor are they necessary to entertain. They're 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 there to you know make money. For <laughs> but but um, I can un- I can appreciate some of the um. A lot of people were concerned about this. Even the people making the movie, like mm. like say Tom Hanks, yeah. because. There are very few uh, perfect trilogies. In fact, this may be Toy Story may have been w- one of the only examples um, that a lot of people could could kind Agree of stand on, behind. Yeah. Uh, as a we may at some point do the um, tree colors red. Yes, uh, that will be uh, next week. Actually, we preempted it for this exactly. Um, um, and also, like in a in a couple of weeks' but, time, we'll be doing the I, Matrix as well. But I don't think people think of that as a perfect, perfect. trilogy because uh, I think most people kind of there's a consensus about which is the best one yeah. whereas which um, well there's a consensus about which is the worst one I think they argue over the other two as to which is yeah. the best yeah but but with 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 Toy Story I think there's 
there is there's an awful lot of love for um for all three. I think when we've had people on before talking about Pixar movies, um, and we've told them that one and three is on, they will say not two, really, not two. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, and Andrew's like, I can live with that. Um. Yeah, I can live with at at this point. I don't mind if there's no IMDb two fifty. <laughs> Or no more movies. <laughs> Ever. Um, Andrew has had enough. No movies are necessary as Andrew's take. Well, it's okay. Did we almost get to halfway? <laughs> we're not, all, we're not quite. All, we're, we're about a third of the way through, despite being half the way through in episode count. So we're actually doing quite well, reasonably speaking. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> you can sense Andrew's enthusiasm radiating. Next up, we'll be discussing whether or not the 250 is necessary. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, the, the argument is that Toy Story 3, as you point out, was the perfect encapsulation. It had an ending that felt like a logical endpoint for those characters. Well, the first it- movie was, like... Um- good enough that they didn't have to make a second movie yeah. either. And the second movie was good enough that they didn't have to yeah. make a third movie. In fact, they waited I think 11 years between the first and the second. It's like when, when oh, between the second and third, sorry, they waited four five four years between the first and the second. Um people were talking about kind of when when um I don't know how tongue in cheek it was, but apparently some of the marketing for Hangover Tree is like um the 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 thrilling conclusion to the trilogy. <laughs> and it's like, what, what are you talking about? It's never meant to be a trilogy. Um, yeah, and it's kind of made up piecemeal as you go along. Well, that's that's the thing, is that, like, apparently there was a handshake agreement. You pointed out Tom Hanks also feels this way and had that anxiety as well. There within was a handshake? Pi- with a handshake agreement. Within Pixar itself, there was a handshake agreement. Thank you for that, Andrew. Um, about I know what you like, Darren. That, that they would not make a fourth movie unless it was absolutely irresistible. Unless the story was absolutely, like, so compelling and so gripping that they wanted to make it. There's also, they've argued that, like, each but, of... like, they don't know, like, when, 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 when making it, how it's going to be. Yeah. It's like even after agreeing to it and doing it, it like, can turn out terribly. Yeah, because like, and and the, the whole time and... everyone is involved in it, um, because I I I believe the people involved in this movie they don't really know like the the they don't they don't have the whole movie until they actually go out and see it. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, like that that's it, and we'll talk a bit about the development process of this as well because this took quite a while. Um, there were some teasings and rumblings of it around about 2014. The Muppets Most Wanted, the second Muppets movie, opened with a song and dance number that included the line. Uh, he announced that he had signed up for Toy Story 4 the following year. Actually, he, he had apparently signed up much earlier for Toy Story 4, before they even had a story. But he was told by Disney he couldn't announce it po- properly or publicly because it would actually affect the stock price. Right. Which is kind of amazing. Like that level of sort of like uh, wheeling and dealing. But yeah, the, the movie sort of had a very long development cycle. It entered development around... So, do they have a thing where... Um... Tom is Tom Hanks allowed by Disney shares, <laughs> <laughs> or does that count as insider trading at this point? Um, but yeah, um, America's dad. I mean, you know, technically he's above such things, really. Um, but yeah, this is the thing with um, Toy Story Four. It spent about four or five years in development. It ended proper development in 2014. It was announced publicly in 2015. It had some big shakeups behind the scenes. It lost its writing staff. It changed direction radically. There was some reinvention. They didn't realize what the ending of it was going to be. And we're going to be vague because we haven't got to the spoiler zone yet. But they didn't realize what the ending of the story was going to be until about halfway through production. Well, presumably it, lo- it, it also lost all its voice talent at some point when they all uh, sacked their agents. <laughs> 
as well. No, 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 isn't 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 that what recently recently happened? The whole oh, pa- yeah. uh, packaging thing. Oh yeah, yeah. But I, I think that the movie was complete no, by that yeah, stage. Yeah, yeah. I imagine the movie was complete by that stage. But anyway, so let's move on to asking the three questions about Toy Story Four. All right, Andrew, are you ready? Um, ready. Do you think that Toy Story Four belongs on a list of the top two hundred and fifty movies ever made? I've just watched it, but I would be inclined to agree. Yes, I, 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 I think. I mean, it's a difficult one because it's 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 incredible how many Toy Story movies there are, on, and how on many it. Pixar movies as like, well. I'd, yeah, I'd, I would it would it would be it would be interesting to who to to kind of put it as um um as like a four um, a forkel uh, a forkel if uh, you will a quadrilogy a quartet um, of Toy Story movies. Yeah, on on the list. Like they can do it with um with TV shows, um on the IMDb. So like, isn't Twin Peaks yeah. like in the in the two fifty of of TV shows? It is indeed, including yeah. the Return. No, that they're two separate things, but yeah, they're both in there, I believe, as well. Right. Um, and I mean, Star Trek and Star Trek: The Next Generation are both in there as well. To pick examples. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they, like, uh, I I don't know. I don't know if you need three. Uh, Toy, Story. Toy Story movies, but so but the thing is, it is a perfect um, trilogy, so it's very difficult, uh, a, a perfect quartet, um, so it's very difficult to pick between them, I guess. This is where Darren has a lukewarm take. Sorry, we should get a little sort of like bell to introduce this. This is the thing where you're like, Darren has an opinion. That opinion is not hot enough to be controversial, but is just distinct enough to sort of vary from I popular mean, opinion just I, a little bit. Yeah, and it, what 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 about you? Do you believe it should be under two fifty, Darren? Yes. Well, this is this is the uh, this is the lukewarm take I was going to. I don't think it belongs on the two fifty. I think that Pixar has a lot of representation on there already. I'm not sure that it needs more. I'm not even sure that any Toy Story movie b- deserves beyond there. I think you can make an argument for Toy Story one because it was such a groundbreaking computer generated animation film. It legitimately changed the the medium and the art form and sort of like what people expected from it. And like I say that loving all four Toy Story movies and adoring them, I would argue that Toy Story 2, the only movie that is not actually on the list and the movie that is frequently overlooked in actual discussions of this. I went out today and I had a browse of people ranking their favorite Pixar films, places like Variety, The Ringer, The Hollywood Reporter, Vox, other places like that. And it's notable that a lot of those places place Toy Story 2 as either the weakest of the four films or the weakest of the original trilogy anyway, because there's a bit of caution around ranking Toy Story 4 at the moment. I would argue Toy Story 2 is the best of the uh, of the bunch. Uh, Toy Story 2 is the best Toy Story film. And if Why? Any- because, and I suppose we're not going to talk about it, so I can talk about it very briefly here. Because it's the perfect sequel. Um, because Toy Story 2 takes all of the characters, works on their journeys from the original film, and showcases... First of all, how much they've all been changed by that experience. So you have the literal juxtaposition of things like Buzz meeting another version of Buzz Lightyear who's just out of the box. And so you have that moment of comparison that illustrates how much our Buzz has grown, how much more developed and well-rounded he is. But you have things like the reversal of the kind of formula where 
you know, in the original Toy Story, Buzz goes missing and Woody ends up trying to rescue him and get him home. In Toy Story 2, you invert that and you have this adventure where Woody gets kidnapped and Buzz, who has grown so much that he can lead the toys. He's actually grown to a leader. He can lead them on a rescue mission and bring Wait them back. Wait a second. I've definitely seen Toy Story 2. It's the toy collector, isn't yes, it? it is. Yes, it is. It's Al's toy barn. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I mean, but even, even beyond that, you have like Woody's journey as well, where Woody, you know, goes through the same journey where he's, you know, he's insecure. He's abandoned by Andy, but he's much more settled now. And like he rescues Wheezy at the at the start so of the So why movie. do you like it? Oh, because... Don't don't tell me everything that happens okay because it's just it's it's the perfect sequel i would argue it does everything perfectly in terms of building on the first film and in terms of setting up the second film and it's also for me the first time that i cried at a pixar film which is the moment where jesse remembers uh, her owner is one of the moments i broke down and cried and cried in the cinema and i rewatched them all three of them at the weekend and i cried just as much this time around we'll talk later in the spoilers about whether or not i cried at toy story 4 the answer may surprise you um but also even beyond that raw emotional feel of it it's great fun it moves quicker than the other two toy stories around it and it, it kind of gets at it was the first time watching a pixar film the first Toy Story was very existential and dealt with things like awareness and sort of like this notion of consciousness and this idea of responsibility and being who you are. And also this like deep seated theme of like mortality and dealing with like being a parent to a child who maybe no longer needs you or maybe has replaced you. And that sort of fear there. But Toy Story 2 kind of doubles down on that in a way that for me typifies what Pixar do. So it's in Toy Story 2, you have Woody realize that there will come a time when Andy no longer needs him. That, you know, is arguably there, it's there in Toy Story, but in Toy Story, he and Buzz stave it off and they manage to at the end come back to Andy and it's like everything is perfect and they're both loved and it's fantastic. Toy Story 2 confronts Woody head on with the reality that Andy will outgrow him, that there will come a time when his kid will no longer love him and he will go on and he will be a forgotten toy. He'll be abandoned and he'll be thrown away and he'll have served his purpose, Right, which is this really deep, depressing, dark theme for a kid's movie. And it also has Woody accepting that. And realizing that it it doesn't matter that Arr. he'll be thrown away. Oh, we're, we're, we're going to talk about that with Toy Story 4. But like, Woody realizes that it's more important that he's there for Andy and he cares for Andy and he loves for Andy. And he loves Andy, even if Andy won't always love him, even if he won't always have pride of place, that it's more important for him to look out for Andy. Is that why you like this movie the most? Cause Toy Story 2. Toy Story 2. It, it be, because you worry about whether your Andy will always love you. Um, I am. I, I know he won't. <laughs> yeah. I know my Andy won't I'll, always love me. Yeah, but that's, that's your worry. You think about like your Andy replacing you. That's it. Exactly. I know you've been auditioning people. Um, But no, I, I know that my Andy won't always love me, but that doesn't change the fact that I love my Andy. And it doesn't make my love for my Andy any less true or meaningful or profound that's and uh, and that's a that was a profound there. realization for a you got a friend in me oh but yeah that was a profound realization for 12 year old me at the time and it kind of stuck with me and i like how it's echoed here but no i don't think the toy story 4 belongs on the list of the 250 greatest movies of all time second question would it be on your own personal list of your favorite 250 movies ever um i don't i like like i i agree with you're on the point that it's 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 a lot of Pixar movies and it's a lot of Toy Story movies. Would it be on my own two fifty? I I probably wouldn't. I was expecting I was expecting a little more from it based on kind of um reviews. It's often the extent of my research is listening <laughs> to um Kermode Mayo. 
if not if not just for the um kind of oh this is how you're supposed to do <laughs> these <laughs> sorts of things yeah well, who who give very good kind of um accounts of movies without really giving very much away which is good yeah but no i don't think it would i i, w- I was hoping for a little bit more from it um thematically based on some of the things that kind of Kermode mayo had said um and I did notice themes in it, but not the the kind of themes that they uh, had had kind of hinted at. I was expecting something more kind of existential than what it was. Yeah, I, I, so I I don't know if I would put it on on, on my two fifty. It has a very decent chance of making my own two fifty. Again, I'm wary of like how ranking Pixar films or how many there are, and also the fact that I have seen it now. I had a bit of an advantage over you. I first saw it two weeks ago. This was my second time watching it, and actually, it got me a bit more this time, which is strange. I think when I went to see it the first yeah, time, I was it, very. It was garlic. like you were watching it for the first time because yeah. like you were laughing. I won't tell the yeah. listeners yet whether you were crying. But yeah, it hit me. I don't know why it was. I think it was maybe because for the first time I saw it, I was very guarded. I was very wary. And again, we we talked earlier about whether such that films are ever necessary in inverted commas. And I don't think films have to be necessary. They just have to be good and entertaining. You can't expect or demand anything more from that. They don't even and have was, to be that. No. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Last week we talked about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation. So that kind of puts that whole theory to bed. But no, I, I mean, you know, ideally or whatever, in an ideal world, all I ask is that you entertain me for 90 minutes. You know, you don't have to be profound or necessary or existentially justified or whatever. But I think with Toy Story 4, I felt that pang of protectiveness. And, you know, we joke about this in the podcast where it's that sort of like possessiveness that isn't very flattering in people where it's like, you know, I had my perfect Toy Story trilogy. What is this doing here? I'm, I'm kind of hostile. Well, that's a, like a, a, a lot of what the, what the movie is about. Yeah. Too. To that extent. And I think it does that very, very well. And I think that it won me over the first time. It kind of like watching it the first time. I, I loved it. I smiled. It, you know, it made my top 10 of the year so far because I keep that sort of track record. But the second time I saw it, it it moved me more. Um, I don't know if that's because my guard was down or because I kind of trusted it because I didn't have that distance between me and it that I kind of had going in the first time. But it, it really, really got me the second time around. And I would say there is a very, very good chance of this ending up in my 250. Coming out of it the first time, I had ranked it as the third best Toy Story uh, behind Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3 ahead of the original Toy Story. Coming out of it the second time, and I'm wary about committing to this, you know, in recorded form, but I I kind of have it second. I have it behind Toy Story 2, which is still amazing, um, and a little bit ahead of Toy Story 3, which sounds like sacrament. Even numbered ones are good. Yeah, it's like Star Trek. Um, Until we hit the next generation movies, Toy Story, the next generation movies. And then finally, the third question, which is like, if listeners have not already seen Toy Story 3, if the Toy Story 4, apologies, uh, would you recommend that they pause the podcast, run out, watch the movie, come back and join us after the spoiler zone? Yes, and I think you can probably watch it if you haven't seen uh, other Toy Story movies. Um, or even I, if you don't remember them. Yeah, like, like because I find it difficult to remember um, these movies because they're so long ago. Um, and because 25 years since the first one right yeah so like these aren't these aren't movies for 
kids um, anymore, really, arguably. Yeah, like, like as as in like they are they're not for the same kids, maybe. Well, I mean, one of our guests, Niall, has kids, and he will say that his kids have been watching like the Toy Story movies around the clock, even though they weren't born when the first three came out. Right. You know, so I mean, there there is a generation. And the screening that we were at, there were lots of kids. Now you said as well, it's a G-rated movie, so many of those kids may not have chosen to be there. But it was kind yeah, of. But we, there were uh, teens there as well. Like, yeah, um, people in their early twenties as well. Um, not to give our age away, kids. Um, <laughs> but yeah, though there are. It was kind of. It was really nice. It was a really nice atmosphere as well, and it was really, really moving. Um. So yeah, you'd recommend it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I would recommend it. I would say watching the the first three movies would definitely enrich the um the experience of watching this more. Um, it's possible because I did watch all three at the weekend and that may have primed me up that may have softened me up like a side of raw beef mm. like Rocky in the sort of abattoir you were being tenderized um, yes thoroughly tenderized uh, but by, a, by a meat hammer of movies a, a meat hammer to the heart Andrew uh, but yes I would also recommend that people watch it and I would recommend if you haven't seen the other three give them a go um, they're really really great they're fun and they, you know, you can watch them all in about the same amount of time it would take you to binge watch Chernobyl. So, you know, you've got to like a balance there. Yeah, who is time for that? <laughs> These are the questions. All right, join us on the other side of the Spoiler Zone. Spoiler Zone. So, Andrew, what is Toy Story 4 about for you? So, I kind of tease on um, the other side, ba- based on the Kermode Mayo review, I was really looking forward to this. Well, I, I, like, I, I wasn't convinced about it. Um, like, you have to kind of watch it to figure out how how how, how much you're going to enjoy it. Because, yeah. like, it's very difficult to tr- trust a film reviewer, you know? Like, yes, like I, I know yeah. it's a film like reviewer. by the way like you're you you've you're 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 on the other side of the spoiler zone so you've listened to us you've maybe went and seen the movie and i'm here to tell you like like don't don't trust us <laughs> we'll sometimes steer you wrong we, and we literally it, just recommended I'm, you go and see this so. yeah i'm not a film reviewer as I, well i do um, like that no so you, you are especially according to the AV club the AV oh, really club. yeah the AV oh very club. good uh, esteemed <laughs> reviewer qualified yep critic it stinks um so what was this movie about for me what i thought it was going to be about was about what it means to be a person what it felt about was more about the possibility of um of finding uh love and part of that being kind of like getting over people um it was also about kind of having um uh having children I, I, I was I was expecting it to be a bit more kind of um, uh, uh, philosophical broad and to focus more on Forky. Yes, because heard about Forky is the key to this existential debate. Forky is the character in case and you, you shouldn't be here if you haven't watched the movie. Not that we aren't glad that you're listening. Um, but Forky is a sentient spork who is granted life. Uh, by Bonnie, the child in the movie, when she fashions him from a fork, a set of googly eyes, a round mouth, a pipe cleaner, a broken stick, and some bubble gum. Um, his f- one of his first lines of dialogue is, Woody, why am I alive? Uh, which kind of sets the tone for kind of the movie as it's about to unfold. Forky is an absolutely 
amazing character. The internet has immediately fallen in love with him. The fact that he's instantly memeable, uh, delivering dialogues such as, I'm trash, uh, has kind of meant that, like, Twitter has been all over him. Uh, but generally speaking, he's kind of had this sort of, like, he's... He's a character that is very easy to adapt. He's very mimetic to a certain extent. But he's also, like, he's... One of the things about it is that he evolved from conversations within the Pixar sort of production team about whether or not they could make a Toy Story where the center, central character was a rock. So when, when you say the production team, is it, like, are we talking about um, uh, Rashida Jones and... No, Rashida Jones and Will McCormick we're going to talk about later because that's that's a kind of a separate kettle of fish. The original idea, I think, developed with sort of Andrew Stanton and with Josh Cooley and with John Lasseter, actually, of all things as well. It was Lasseter who happened Sorry. to John Lasseter. Oh, we're going, unfortunately, going to have to talk about that because it was Lasseter who originally wanted to push for Toy Story 4 and had an idea of what Toy Story 4 was going to be. And the movie kind of warped and sort of evolved from that through Rashida Jones and Will McCormick's vision into the vision that's kind of before us today. But let's get back to Forky because Forky's fun. Um, the thing, about, thing about Forky is he began as a workshop character and actually Pixar had this had like an entire afternoon where most of the staff the animating staff went down and were actually given like a fork and given a pipe cleaner and given bubble gum and given like sticks to create their own Forky um, and then so they could like in real space in and then they could model it and sort of construct it on computers and stuff like that it came from I believe it was inspired by Josh uh the Josh Cooley's son, um, who wanted to call the character, and I think you'll appreciate this, Andrew, Forkface. Um, uh. Pixar decided that that wasn't quite going to cut it, and they changed it to Forky. They did consider renaming him Sporky because he's technically a spork, but then I think it was Andrew Stanton discovered that his child didn't know what a spork was, so Forky works much better in that context. If you want listeners, if you want Forky's listeners, to revenge. <laughs> yeah, if. <laughs> <laughs> if listeners want to construct their own Forky, we'll actually have a video with Anthea Turner from Blue Peter uh, in the comments, and she'll take you through constructing your own Forky. But like, before we talk about Forky as like a vehicle for existential crises, I actually one of the things I really like about Forky is that he is a toy that your child can literally make at home. They don't have to buy a store-bought version of him, although there absolutely will be one of those. Like, if your kid wants a Forky they can make one themselves. And more than that, the existence of Forky in Toy Story encourages them to like go out and to do things like draw a face on a rock and call him Rocky, to pick an example. Like it expands the boundaries of like what Toy Story is and for the kids playing, because a large part of what kids do when they watch movies is they play at like being the thing that they are. What's hilarious actually is, um, you know, the, uh, the mean kid, from next door in uh, the first Toy Story movie. Yes, Sid. Sid. Yeah, it was. I, it was great. I, I saw like a tweet of 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 how he had been made into a toy. <laughs> like it was the perfect kind of like uh, irony or revenge. <laughs> you know, he ended up as the garbage man in Toy Story three, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, he has his own little arc in the background of these films. Um, but yeah, the thing with Forky, and again, this is something that I quite like. It's very similar to um say Doctor Who to pick an example where the character has the sonic screwdriver which is a device that you that the BBC markets and sells and it costs an arm and a leg and if your kid wants to play it being Doctor Who a large part of the merchandising is you have to buy a sonic screwdriver so they can wave it round or whatever you have to yeah. construct one and there are various price ranges of, yes. of, of, of sonic like you can get the one that lights up or the one that makes a buzzing sound or whatever and one of the things that 
Moffat did a few years before he left was he came up with the idea of Sonic sunglasses, which a lot of the older fans of the series got very upset about because, oh, it's ridiculous in the show about an alien with two hearts who drops a time in a phone box. But anyway, but the thing that I really liked about the Sonic sunglasses and in inverted commas and the fact the show went to the point of having Sonic everything is that it meant that if kids were playing in the yard, like if your parents didn't have money to buy you a Sonic screwdriver, that's fine. You just have a set of Sonic glasses or you have a set of Sonic keys or you have a set of Sonic like key rings or whatever. And you, you can play along and do the same thing. Forky does something similar with Toy Story, where if you can't afford a properly licensed Woody or Buzz Lightyear toy. And as a kid, when I saw a Toy Story, I really wanted a Buzz Lightyear toy. I end up with a Woody and I made my peace with that. Um, but like if you can't afford those, you can make your own Forky. And I really like that. I think that's a really touching and really like, you know, good thing for the the film to have done you know and, and to encourage kids to have arts and craft and to use their imagination in a way that is creative and playful and fun and very much in the spirit of toy story because i mean you have the opening of toy story 2 and toy story 3 where you go into these virtual worlds where these like where like mr potato head is holding the town hostage or ham is flying inside a gigantic model of himself and this is like what's happening inside the child's imagination while playing with the piggy bank or playing with mr potato head and i like that forky encourages kids to do that with like materials that they they have at school or that they find in a drawer and it's like your imagination is very much like your the sky is the limit with that infinity and beyond you know right uh but yeah so that's part of the reason why i love forky but also forky is a big bundle of neuroses yes yes he is is um, um... yeah I, I i i guess i wanted a little bit more of forky but i'm like what? What did what did you what did you think of? Because um, I felt like what was happening with Woody, um, and with Bo Peep, and with 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 Gabby with Gabby, Gabby. Gabby was the more important stuff. And I'm I'm, I'm because it was all it, it, there was a lot of stuff about uh, dating. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There, there was what, what like a, and 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 also a lot of stuff about um being single yeah um and not and and kind of you know enjoying freedom not, basically yeah 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 like 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 the uh, bo- the line is you've got a kid you've got a kid is thrown around quite a bit in this yeah yeah absolutely and 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 but it's it's very kind of clear that 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 Bo Peep is this person who's like um woody is 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 saying to her like oh don't don't you miss kind of and she's like no not really Mm -hmm. like and she she has this great kind of um uh life that she's living she's not really missing anything no but she she's um and but she's a lost toy and it's it's weird but to quote buzz he's not lost she's not lost either yeah you know it's weird though that um they kind of make out that Woody is is lost until he ends up with um Bo Peep, uh, Bo Peep because Bo Peep has Bo Peep isn't lost in spite of um being separated from um from Woody, but yet Woody is lost until. He's um uh reunited with 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 Bo Peep. I would have I I I was uh, kind of like hoping that Woody would would be able to find some sort of um 
meaning um within within himself or kind of like less conditional i felt like the movie was making these kind of overtures towards kind of like the the um the happiness that somebody can can um uh can have um on their own terms yeah yeah because it was interesting the way the way they started um the movie with 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 Bo Peep and Woody and I think a lot of the movie is to do with uh, for me anyway was about Bo Peep and Woody but I wasn't sure kind of how well they um uh they played that or kind of directed the sort of um message or what the message was meant to be because um it starts it's almost as if Woody is um married but has um fallen um for somebody else who is Bo Peep. That's kind of like like how it it sort of like um uh, uh, came across. Oh in terms of like his relationship between being caught between Bonnie and being caught between Bo Peep. Yeah, but uh, no, it, it it was it was like he he was he was like he was looking at 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 Bo Peep, kind of like longing for her. It it and and but realizing that it was wrong, that he couldn't that he couldn't go with her because 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 he has like a family. Yeah, you know what and, I how I how I read that and how I've always read that and again this is very much informed by my readings of the other Toy Story films is that for me Woody has always been and again this is the thing where there are toy story truthers out there in inverted commas who believe that the own that there's a reading of the film and i quite like this reading but i don't think it's necessarily true oh right where the yeah re- where it's the where woody is a toy pass- yeah um, husband uh, owned woody so woody was passed down from andy's father to him that's why he's a 1950s cowboy toy oh, the, who's vintage. I, the popular theory was that it was his mother's wasn't it no the, the theory i believe the theory is that it might be jesse might be his mother's that jesse might be that Andy's mother might be the girl who abandoned Jesse ironically enough that's one of the theories out there as well yeah uh, but with Andy's case um, it's the case that Andy is a toy from his father who is absent either because of divorce or because he passed away or because he's no longer there and that's why Andy has such a strong connection to Woody despite Woody being a cowboy toy and despite again in Toy Story 2 Stinky Pete talking about how like cowboy toys haven't been cool since the 60s and the fact that Woody is a toy from a 50s TV show that Andy would never have watched in the first place um, and kind of why Andy holds on to him so much even after Buzz comes into his life and like one of the popular readings of toy story and we'll talk about when we talk about the film is this reading of you never really look <laughs> you never really own a woody you only look after it for the next generation <laughs> woody is a line of luxury toys um it, it, it's like an it's like a watch oh okay <laughs> i'm now imagining so like the the high concept advertisements with the slow yeah. motion against the black black drop and the uh woody's like face a, rotating 40 year old uh something man <laughs> and his kind of um uh, woody toy sitting in her child yeah. kind of looking up to him oh. when he's holding his toy and it's like no it's not for you um <laughs> one, day. one day one day you'll inherit it um but yeah so the idea is that and that's why why Woody sort of is so that's the relationship between Woody and Andy particularly in Toy Story 1 is that Woody is very similar to Andy's biological father and the relationship between Woody and Buzz is the biological father a divorced dad when a new father arrives on the scene when a new father figure or male role model appears on the scene and sort of enters his son's orbit Um, (laughs) 
that's a very different situation. But yeah, when a new male role model arrives in his son's life and having to fight for attention, having to compete for space with that and sort of the antagonism that exists between the two. And that's... Daddy's home. <laughs> yeah, well, that's pretty much how the original Toy Story has been read. And I kind of, I can see that reading of it. And so as a result of that... There's a lot that you can, like, it, it seems to kind of play with a lot of different kinds of or encourage a lot of different kinds of readings, readings yeah. to the point where it gets kind of muddled where yeah. you you don't it's like okay is that is that his child or his ex-wife yeah you know kind of like like because he just has to let go of of this child because it's preventing you from finding another child <laughs> and it's kind of like so you're 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 still pining for for your ex-wife yeah. i don't think of, he ever got over andy yeah at both yeah. at one point in it. like uh, you need to have an yeah you need to go out there and get other children kid. um well i mean this <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're right. The me- the metaphor can be slightly muddled and seem kind of creepy when you do it in that way, <laughs> much like the ventriloquist dummies, I mean, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a moment. But... Uh, yeah, it's kind of like waking up, like <laughs> when it, in in in. Sorry, yeah. No, but it w- was was that slightly weird and, I, and kind of muddled and it, I mean, strange? It, it's all. It's an. It's I'm not a, it's, saying no, it's, no, it's, no. it's creepy or disturbing yeah. or inappropriate, but it was certainly kind of. It, fe- it felt like it was inviting those sorts of. Um, uh, illusions yeah Yeah. what I I read it as and again I'm wary about doing this and wary of casting words and generalizations but for me I kind of read Woody as a father who had his child had left or grown up or no longer needed him in the case of Bonnie and this is very interesting and we'll, we'll talk a bit more about Bonnie later on but the for Woody, it's that his child has grown up and literally gone to college. The house is empty. The nest is empty. And again, you see him in the way that he cares for Forky. He's presented very much as a father figure. He explains to Forky how the world works and what Forky's purpose is and why Forky needs to take care of Bonnie. Like he he passes Forky on to the next generation, but he's very much like a paternal figure to Forky even as another toy. And so like the idea or the way that I read his relationship with Bo Peep was very much along the lines of needing to like... You know, your your divorced dad after you've left the house needing to go out on dates or needing to go out and socialize or needing to find his own social circle, needing to find, you know, somebody who is his equal rather than somebody that he cares for or looks after. That sort of thing. Or even a, a mother or whatever, a divorced figure anyway. Somebody who has, you know, had a family, who's, who's kind of reached a point where that family is no longer what it once was, whether because of separation or or because the children have kind of left the nest. And kind of the need to to go out and to, to socialize and to put yourself literally out in the world. To see it's, the world, as Bo Peep puts it. It's a funny one, though, because he's very much like he's um, been... Um, he's a, he's a, a divorced dad who always kind of um, had uh, this thing for uh for Bo Peep but was never uh, able to to fully to follow her because yeah. he would never leave his family but yeah. no longer has a family like <laughs> uh, really I, that, that that um that cares about him and it's like finally we can be together and it's like you still thinking about that but then eventually it kind of ends in 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 them getting together I um, I kind of like that I mean and I will confess that is the bit that kind of bro- I did cry I actually cried. At what point? 
it's I can tell you exactly the shot where I cried. So I cried almost immediately in this. That's that's exactly (laughs) the moment of separation. Right. So the moment of separation where they're underneath the car and he puts his hand on the box and you get the close up of his hand. He's thinking about climbing into the box and he can't leave Andy. Right. That's not the moment where I cried. Moment where I cried was at the end when Woody's about to get in the camper van and about to go back to Bonnie and about to leave Bo Peep and leave the happiness in the place where he's actually found somewhere where he belongs with somebody that he loves and somebody who loves him in return. Um, The shot where he's got his hands on the roof of the sort of like the, you know, the, um, the stall and is about to climb back down. And he realizes and Bo Peep realizes that he's in the exact same position that he was nine years earlier and he's going to do exactly the same thing even though those nine years have not in any way healed that loss or that separation that he hasn't that he still thinks about what it would be like if they were together if he took that leap if he'd gone with her those nine years ago that one moment is the moment that broke me the moment where Woody sort of and Bo Peep to a certain extent realize that those nine years that they lost are are nothing really between them um, and that that just got me profoundly. And the bit where he walks across and, and Buzz, who, you know, is a bit of an idiot. Um, but Bu- even Buzz is, is like Buzz reads the situation almost better than Woody does with the she'll be OK. Bonnie will be OK. Uh, and that's just a beautiful little moment. It's a, again, like I talked about Toy Story 2 and why I love Toy Story 2 being because Woody accepts that caring for Andy is more important than being glorified or worshipped or preserved or like having his own life where he accepts that like his responsibility to Andy is the most important thing that being loved by a child and and loving a child in return is the most important thing that he can do and why I love that about Toy Story 2 what I love about Toy Story 4 is that it inverts that and it says that look this is a job with a finite job description this is a something that you complete it's it's, it's also very much kind of Putting that forward as a a real um real value valuable thing. Like 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 that everybody should get to experience. Yes. Because it, it's kind of like, oh, I had my um My Andy, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. And I and I had Bonnie and you you Gabby Gabby have never have never had that and you deserve that. You have mm. you have to have it. It like I had it. You haven't had it. Um, I want. I, I, it's more important. Um, that what? that 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 you have it once than than that I, I have would, it again. Can continue to. What I liked about that with the Gabby Gabby thing is that like it didn't play out the way that Gabby Gabby wanted it because again Gabby and again I'm just gonna call her Gabby. What Gabby wanted was for um was it um Heather. Um, um harmony harmony apologies wanted for harmony apologies to harmony yeah harmony to pick her up like she had her her heart set on harmony and she thought that they would be together forever and she'd kind of fall in love and she'd been observing this girl and immediately like she makes herself perfect she presents herself perfectly she fixes herself up so that she should objectively be exactly what she thinks harmony wants harmony picks her up off the shelf and just throws her away and I like that, like, the movie doesn't give her the immediate happy ending of getting the girl that she wanted from the outset, the the relationship that she wanted from the beginning, but instead says that even if you are thrown away, even if you are discarded, even if what you wanted from life doesn't necessarily work out, you can still find purpose or be of use elsewhere when she finds the kid crying in the corner of the funfair. 
I found that a very heartwarming message. The idea that like love is not necessarily where you want it to be or where you expect it to be or where you plan for it to be. But it's it's still out there. And it doesn't matter whether or not it's the, the again, as you point out, the muddled metaphor of the love between child and toy, which is, you know, whether you want to read it as a, a kind of parent and child or as a kind of a, a husband and wife or, you know, lover and, and lover or two guys recording a podcast if you want to read it that way. But no, also even um, the love between two toys as well, you know, just love in general. And I mean, you're right that maybe it is heteronormative or maybe it is a stereotype that you have to find love in another person in order to find value. And, you know, you don't really have people finding value in themselves except for Bo Peep, who does. And um, yes... They kind of undercut that with... Uh, By well, having her end not, up with Woody, is it? Not particularly. They, like, like, she's they, happy to see him. Like, she's she, going to see him she, go. I think, like, she would be quite happy uh, without him staying. Yeah. Um, And it's funny, because, like, her friend is kind of, like, all interested in... Um, um, oh, the the gig was it uh, Giggles McDimples, isn't it? Yes, or Dimples McGiggles. I think so. Uh, one one of those who's terrific, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Well, she's really interested in 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 this guy, but not not in like 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 sort of in a. Um, He's the one you told me about. Yeah, exactly. Not in like not in an overly invested sort of yeah. way. They 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 seem like kind of two single people who are kind of you know enjoying each other's uh, company yeah 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 which i i really Flat really like <laughs> yeah situation which i really really liked about it as well and i mean we're, we're probably going to talk a, a bit more about sort of like the particulars of bo peep in a moment but just i wonder and again this gets back to the question of is it necessary but i wonder if it's possible to read, and again, the ending of uh, Toy Story 4 reminded me a lot of what we talked about when we talked about Avengers Endgame, which is this idea of like closing a book and, and bringing closure and moving on, and in particular fandom, the analogy of fandom and stuff like that. And I wonder if, and again, this is a bit of a long stretch, uh, and I'm, I'm willing to say that I'm kind of throwing ideas out there and probably going a bit too far, as is my want, but I wonder if you could read... The reason why Toy Story 4 maybe works for me as well as it does is because of context, right? So Toy Story 3 ended in a way that many people would describe as perfect, with Andy passing on his toys to Bonnie, to a young girl, a kind of a toddler. She's very shy in Toy Story 3, but who's going to play with them and love them and kind of like bring new life to them and sort of be vibrant and excited and, you know, like get them out of the attic, get them out of the room, get them out of the toy chest and bring them out into the world. Yeah. And like, it's a passing on to the next generation. You see that at the start of Toy Story 4. I think that may have been a moment where you almost cried. I think I saw you wipe something from I your eye at I that did. point. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I watched Toy Story 3 and I cried at that sequence as well in Toy Story 3. We're all just big emotional wrecks here. Um, but the issue is that uh, the thing is that that ending was very sweet in 2010 when Toy Story 3 was released. And that was around a time that Hollywood was doing a lot of rebooting. So you had a lot of like franchises that were being sort of restarted and passed on to the next generation. So you had, for example, you had Star Trek. J.J. Abrams' Star Trek had launched in 2009, which was effectively a soft reboot of Star Trek, the original series, with a brand new cast you, yeah, as blockbuster you, franchise. Are you saying this about fandom? Yeah, that's what I'm wondering, yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and that sort of thing. And passing on to the next generation, you had things like Christopher Nolan was doing his Dark Knight trilogy, which was very different from what Schumacher and Burton had done in the 90s. Planned the Apes, there was a reboot coming of that as well. And the idea was that you could right. pass these things on to a next generation Doctor Who was going through its big transformation at the same time as well from David Tennant right, to Matt Star Smith. Wars. Star yeah. Wars, you know, was about to be bought by Disney. Like, yeah. so you had all this stuff hanging in the background and there was this real sense of, like, hopefulness that what was happening was you would have 
old fans who are like Andy looking at their toys and handing those toys over to a new generation, to a generation of younger people who are very invested and who would be invested in new iterations of those and playing with those familiar toys. And we had Grace on talking about Star Wars, um, the, was it the Force Awakens and talking about how like for her, that was a hugely like moment. That was a very important moment because it felt like it was kind of handing the franchise to her, a franchise in which she'd liked before, but it really felt like this was being given over to her. And what happened, and that's why Toy Story 3 was the perfect ending for me at that time, because in 2010, I was like, yeah, this is very exciting. It's like passing on to the next generation, quite literally. With Toy Story 4, I wonder if, like, the past couple of years have maybe not been the most flattering to that idea and that romantic idea of passing on toys to the next generation. Things like Gamergate in 2014, in 2013, the backlash against Star Trek Into Darkness, the backlash against Iron Man 3 for changing the Mandarin, the headline in cinema blend, which was like uh, Iron Man 3. Like, do we invest too much importance in this stuff that happens on the internet? That's fair, I suppose. But I mean, even like, things... That, how, how, but I mean, even like the backlash... I, I know that like these companies listen to it because they're they're the ones producing the stuff well yeah Um, and and like yeah no it 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 makes sense that this stuff that happened online would 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 matter to these big media companies because it's easier to pay attention to what's happening online because it's very easy to find than what's actually happening in the real kind world, of in the real world, world where but people don't really care, care about these things. I know, are, are even aware. Yeah, of, I mean, no, I mean, of, of any of this. I stuff. mean, to pick stuff that actually made headlines in newspapers, things like, for example, the uh, Ghostbusters reboot, sort of outrage over that, for example, and even things like the um, what you call it, uh, the Last Jedi stuff with the stars hounded off social media. But the reason why I wonder I, that's we're still talking about social media. It's not the real world. The, okay. the, this this. This stuff does does not matter to to the like vast swathes of of, of 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 the population. I do agree that it matters to companies, but that's I I think because it's quite accessible and easy to kind of gauge um uh, what people think of things based based on um social media feedback. And yeah, stuff like that. yeah, which 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 I which I don't think is is um is a uh it's it's looking through a mirror darkly kind of well it does it amplifies the loudest voices in the room not the average voice in the room right um and, and that sort of thing but i do wonder if there's an element of that to toy story 4 and how it presents like woody for example so there's a large part of toy story 4 where woody is adapting to the fact that bonnie isn't going to play with her toys in the same way that Andy did. Most obviously, there's the bit where well, she, she'd rather play with Jesse. That's it that exactly. Yeah. yeah, and and it's like Jesse the sheriff because she, of course. Yeah, because the, yeah, because that's her toy, and also even like it's Dolly who runs who runs the room. Yeah. Like early on, like Woody's trying to manage all the toys, and Dolly's like, "It's okay, Woody. I've got this. I know what's demanded of this. I know what to expect." Yeah, what and to manage. he's trying to kind of uh, take charge as well of um of 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 boys. Uh, of Bo Peep and the other um, uh, carnival toys um, as well. Toys, yeah. Uh, and it, it happens. In spite of um, the, uh, Bo Peep clearly being um, in Much charge. more competent. Yeah. And, well, I mean, that's the thing is that Woody's decisions repeatedly they, jeopardize. Like, they're, they're risky decisions that he takes. They repeat the kind of uh, 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 theme, almost almost practically the lines from uh, Force Awakens with that Bo Peep kind of scene it's like he's kind of like um just stay out of my way yeah and and i mean even things like the fact that bo peep 
to me at least, and I'm not, I think John McGuire, the Irish film critic as well, noted it's very much along the lines of she feels very much like uh, somebody from Fury Road. Like she's driving a skunk that's sort of like careening out of control and that sort of stuff. And she's very much a kind of a, a very liberated character. And you have repeatedly throughout the film, Woody brushing up against uh, these kind of, and and I don't think it, the film never makes too much of it, but I think it is worth noting that they're typically women who are in positions of power. And it's not that Woody's aggressive, and it's not that Woody's bitter or he's resentful, but it's just that you have the sense of Woody being he obsolete, is bitter and yeah. resentful. Okay, but not aggressively. So, like, he's very much no. It's Tom Hanks. Yeah, you know, but it, it's yeah, it's that's, like that's fair. Tom Hanks. You'd imagine like Colin Hanks wants to wants to spend like. <laughs> As much uh, uh, quality time as he can with 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 Tom, but 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 just just can't you know like um, uh, be there all the time. And uh, Tom is 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 I don't know trying to. You can imagine it's all very wholesome, but still Tom There's has tension. his feelings. Yeah. yeah. There's ten- well, I mean that's that's the thing I actually really like about Woody as a character is the fact that. It feels like this is about as dark as Tom Hanks can go. And we talked about Tom Hanks in like Saving Private Ryan, where he like watches atrocities happening around him. And like, you know, it's very like, don't save that kid there. But weirdly enough, it's like Woody feels like the kind of like if Tom Hanks made Training Day, Woody feels about the right level of it. Where Woody is like selfish and self-centered, but still oddly wholesome despite that. There's this kind of this interesting push and pull with the character where you have like Tom Hanks's wholesomeness like informs that all oh, shucks 50s cowboy mentality. But because it's animated, you can do things like when he clearly well, like when he's manipulating Bo Peep at the car and he's like, you know, um, Andy's sister Molly, she'd uh, sit in the dark. She cried every night, every night. And you, you were the only person who could help her. Can you help me, please? Um, that sort of stuff. Mm. But even even things like sneaking into the bag when he's told by Dolly not to sneak into the bag and stuff like that. And risking being compromised. Or even as you pointed out, when they're in the shop and like Bo Peep is like, no, we don't make a direct run for it because the cat is out there and the ventriloquist dummies are waiting. And Woody's like, no, no, no. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to make a run for it. Yeah. Um, where he just kind of ignores the advice of people around him. Or even the confrontation after the attack where one with the, where... Was it uh, Billy Goat and Groff have been sort of like chipped? Yeah. And outside he's yelling at like Bo Peep and he's saying, you know, you wouldn't know what it's like to care for a child because you've never cared about anything. And he's, you know, he's so, so kind of driven well, by what that, he thinks that's is right. That's what was so strange about the, 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 the movie because he's kind of like putting forward this very sort of like um, a traditional kind of, um, view of of what matters you know in movies you know yeah. which 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 is family and romance <laughs> um, like it's a, it's about finding love and about having a, a family and having and, this external yeah. validation and 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 throughout most of the movie um that has been challenged only to kind of be um, vindicated, pretty much. I think there's something in the fact that, like... like because, okay. because there are other ways he could have gone. Well, like, sorry. No, like, we're talking about the, 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 the movie as it was. But it felt like... It, it felt strange for me that kind of Bo Peep and, and Woody ended up together. For me, it would have made more sense if it's like... Um, oh, um... I have to, I have to kind of 
look after Bonnie and make sure that um like Forky understands how important he is to Bonnie and 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 look out for all of these uh toys. But also I want to be with um with Bo Peep. I'm I'm so torn. But to realise I don't know that 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 he had kind of you know other other options or that there wasn't kind of like the the binary necessity to, okay. yeah I don't know like I mean I quite like for example the choice that he gives up his voice box to Gabby Gabby for example which I quite like he like gives up the thing that makes him such a kind of he literally gives Gabby Gabby a chance to speak which I I really like and I think maybe plays that sort of like metaphor that I was talking about there if you want to read it in that way. I think there is something in that, in Woody surrendering that part of himself. Because again, his pull cord and his, you know, his iconic reach for the sky kind of quote, while it's not as good as, you know, sort of snazzy as to infinity and beyond, is still a defining part of his character. And I like that he gives up that aspect of himself. And I like that the film makes the case that he has done enough with Forky that like in the first post or in the, this is the fourth post credit scene where you have the new character who comes in and Forky is able to do the Woody thing. And he's like, don't worry, I can explain everything. Yes. And then she's like, why am I alive? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> which, which I love. But I, again, that's the illustration of like, Woody has done his job as a, you know, as a parent, literally and metaphorically. And I, I think you're right. I think that maybe there is something in there in terms of like, well, do you have to find completion in another person? And is that necessary? And that's a very traditional, very, you know, very old fashioned Hollywood narrative. But I, I do, I like the idea that, you know, and again, maybe this is that thing that we talk about when we talk about Guardians of the Galaxy or Fast and Furious, where it's like this idea of like family is changing. So you can have two families, you can have a second family, you life can begin again at the age of 40 or 50 or, you know, 60 or whatever age that Woody is at this point, you know? Yeah. And I like I like that. And I understand the anxiety about this or the uncertainty about like, does his life have to be a relationship in a very conventional sense with kissing or sort of like holding hands by the Ferris wheel, staring at each other in love? Uh, does it have to be that? Maybe it doesn't. But I like that that's shorthand in this movie, which is only 100 minutes long, kind of for the idea of life existing afterwards, you know? And I like that it is a different sort of life. I like that it's, I like that like, and it's been pointed out, one of the things about Toy Story 4 that I kind of like in comparison to the earlier ones is the earlier ones treat being abandoned by a child as the end of existence. Um, in Toy Story 2, Woody has this nightmare about being thrown in the trash. In Toy Story 4, in Toy Story 3, there's this fear of being sent to landfill and being incinerated. And there's this sense that like when your purpose is done, when you've, when you've like, when you have no more utility left in you, you are kind of crumpled up, destroyed, and have no value. And I like that Toy Story 4 rejects that, you know? Um, I like that Toy Story 4's there is value after that, even if you're right that the value it assigns maybe is very crudely drawn or very stereotypical or very archetypal or very what you would expect in a film like this, maybe. Yeah, I suppose I suppose it it's it it would be difficult to kind of make a Yeah, did it it feels it feels like very much a goodbye to um to to Woody. Yeah. Um and and that there there isn't there it really, really, really does feel like there will not be another um, <laughs> Toy, Toy Story movie. You um, say that. But, yeah. 
Um, well, you know that, um, again, this is the thing where people talk... Like, Tom Hanks wasn't ruling it out. No, Tom Hanks won't rule it out. And the thing with um, this is that, like, people talk about Toy Story 3 being the perfect end for the Toy Story franchise. But afterwards, you had, like, the short films, like, you had, was it Snack Size, where where Buzz meets a, um, a wonderful sort of, like, Happy Meal version of himself. But even things like Toy Story of Terror, to pick an example, or the Toy Story of the Time Forgot, or even, like, the Sky Broadband ads, where you have these characters coming back and being voiced by their actors, and a sense the story is continuing and stuff like that. And actually... Um, you may have noticed that one of the trademarks of Pixar was actually missing from this screening that we attended. There was no short film before Toy Story 4. Oh, that's true. Yeah, um, and one of the reasons why that was, it's been rumoured, is because Pixar are siloing their short stories or their short films uh, to release on the Disney Plus uh, streaming service, which will be out in November. And you'll never guess what some of the content that's already been lined up for uh, that streaming service is. It's Forky Asks a Question. Forky is already getting his own spin-off short film from Toy Story 4. So it's Good. not quite the yeah, end. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wanted him to... To, to, to get more To here. have more in this. It's, um, it, it, it seems, though, that he's moved on too much. And I don't feel like I was there for that. That, like, he, he understands himself too much. That, like, too much yeah. happened on the walk back to the campsite, almost. Yeah. Yeah, they, 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 they um, are... Yeah, yeah, it, it, I, I suppose... You have you have these kind of lapses where like he's spending time with people where 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 he spent time with Woody but we haven't really kind of like seen it or where we come back to him and he's obviously been just talking to Gabby uh, to Gabby like forever so he's <laughs> brushing the, her he, hair backwards yeah and he's the <laughs> it uh by the way the the um. The ventriloquist dummies are amazing, aren't incredible. they? Incredible. Yeah. Um, they're modeled on the uh, ventriloquist dummy from um, the Twilight Zone, I believe. Um, but also from what you call it, it's the... Um... Gabbo? <laughs> the Simpsons? Gabbo is coming. Gabbo, Gabbo, Gabbo. Uh, but also uh, from the Goosebumps series as well. They had a ventriloquist dummy, which is very similar as well. Um, and what's interesting is that... Uh, so it's modeled on ventriloquist dummies. Just in general. This that's ventriloquist a concept dummy, dummy is modeled like on all of the ventriloquist creepy ventriloquist dummies <laughs> that we... Yeah. I, I I like the shining uh music cue as well, which is great. When um when Woody is creeping around the store with uh, Forky, and you know the pram pulls up with Gabby in it, and it's great because you have you have that shot of the dummy with its head sort of like in the glass, sort of magnified, but it turning and Woody jumping. But the sound of um what's it the Me You Stars and Forever playing on the soundtrack, which anybody who is an adult will recognize as the soundtrack from the closing scene of The Shining. As they go on this little walking kind of pram tour of the, uh, it's it's really great, and I really love how the movie uses the ventriloquist dummies to get weird and creepy. Yeah, because um, they're genuinely unsettling at points, which is amazing. And she is as well. A uh, Gabby, incredible. yes. Yeah. Uh, Gabby's very very creepy, played by Christina Hendricks actually. Um, oh. uh, a wonderful voice cast. Well, you know that Forky's played by uh, Tony Hale. Tony Hale. Where do I know Tony Hale? From? Uh, Vice. Um, he's uh, no Veep. Sorry, Veep. He's the um. Oh yes! Oh, and uh, from uh, 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 Arrested Thursday. Development. Arrested Development. Yes, yes. Um, and he was very much—he was apparently the first choice for the role, uh, which is great as well. And he absolutely loves it. And he, so he said that like it's—it's it's interesting to get to define a character using his voice when most of his live-action roles are defined by their lack of a voice, actually, which is kind of interesting. Oh yeah. Uh, some interesting casting here as well. And I. I mentioned this during the credits um, and I'm just going to revel in this because this is awesome. Um, 
when Woody gets put in the cupboard for his timeout, you know, he's only been picked. He's been he hasn't been picked three times this week. Um, the oh, there's some incredible. Um, there's uh, Mel Brooks, right? Yeah, Mel Brooks plays a blue elephant called Melephant Brooks. Um, Carol Burnett plays a green plastic chair named Cheryl Burnett. <laughs> Carl Rayner. still with us? Yes. Um. So it's so just to run through the the cast. Betty Betty White plays a teething toy with a tiger face called Bitey White. Um. <laughs> and Carl Rainier plays a pink rhinoceros named Carl Rainerosaurus, uh, which I really like as well. That one's a bit strange, but I'll allow it. Um. But to get their ages, White and Rainier are both ninety seven. Brooks is ninety two, and Burnett is eighty six. Actually, she's the spring chicken of the bunch. Brooks is only 92. 92. Himself and Rainer have dinner, apparently, once a week. Yeah. Um, And it's apparently, yeah, then they, they have wonderful... Um, I think Burnett attended one of the dinners and said that it was very difficult to chew and laugh at the same time. Um, But no, it's it's amazing. And they're all going to be back, actually, for Forky Asks a Question, uh, which is great. And they're all very enthused. And they're all talking about how they're going to take their grandkids to see it. A um, couple of other big characters um, in terms of, of kind of cameos and stuff like that. Uh, Duke Kaboom. Yes. Canada's greatest stuntman. I picked a really bad time. To, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say to people, I should have said the other side of the spoiler zone, but uh, if, yeah, that it's, it's redundant now, but if you are watching this movie in a cinema and you do need to use the toilet, um, I, like, I, I, I don't want to encourage... Hold it in. I'm not going to encourage people to to soil themselves because you have to think about the people, people who work next to you. <laughs> in, in 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 those cinemas who have to clean it up. But um, yeah, I I I I made a bad choice, <laughs> and it, and it's it, it was it, it was it was it was it was a great number one, but but I I don't think it compared to kind of getting um, to meet Duke Kaboom for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Um, played by Keanu Reeves. Apparently, um, the plan was originally for the um antique store to be much more like that pinball machine. The whole antique store was gonna store was gonna be like a like a toy town basically. It was gonna be much more like a sort of like a lots of nightclubs and lots of bars and lots of seedy spaces, like a film noir sort of set. Originally they conceived of it, and then they sort of narrowed it down to just being the sort of like the inside of the pinball machine. Which, by the way, in the background apparently you can see an Obi Wan Kenobi toy, which I quite like as well. Um, but yeah, Duke Kaboom is played by Keanu Reeves. Yes. And apparently this is one of those things where Keanu Reeves, where you have that great Keanu Reeves story. This is the spoiler zone for all movies. And Andrew, I hope you either already have watched or are never going to watch Always Be My Maybe, which is a Netflix romantic comedy with Randall Park and Ali Wong. Okay, go ahead. Um, That features a cameo from Keanu Reeves. Um, He plays Ali Wong's boyfriend. He's the other man in the romantic triangle. It's a really great punchline because Randall Park is like, okay, I can compete. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to seduce her away from. And then it's Keanu Reeves, uh, which is just great. But um, one of the things that it does, and I kind of love that Randall Park and Ali Wong, they developed the script together. And Ali Wong was like, so when we decided who the other love interest was going to be, I was very adamant from the outset it was going to be Keanu Reeves. And Randall Park is like, actually... I was thinking more Paul Giamatti, um, <laughs> which is great. I'd love to see that first in the movie. But um, Ali Wong, talking about Always Be My Maybe, talks about meeting Keanu Reeves for lunch. 
And apparently he is as perfect as you would want him to be, where he would start improvising and asking questions on the fly and stuff like that. And sort of like being like, well, what if I say this? Or how about like I, I put the headphones on and I get to hear the squeals of the animals I'm eating it as an art exhibition or something like that. And these really great kind of high concepts and stuff like that. And apparently the Pixar crew had the same experience with him talking about Duke Kaboom. They went to meet him. He showed up um, to lunch on his motorbike because, of course, he owns a company that yes. makes custom motorbikes. Um, and he sat down for the, the reading. And apparently a lot of Kaboom's characterization came from Keanu Reeves' conversation where he was like, um, so they discussed the backstory, which he's going to be Canada's greatest stuntman. He's like, so is he is he angry at Rajon? Is he sad? Or is he angry at the commercial? Um, but apparently, like, <laughs> even while they were having lunch, uh, Reeves started doing, like, poses and karate chops, um, which they incorporated into the character's movement. If you've seen the film, it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, Duke Kaboom loves his sort of poses. Um, and a lot of that came, apparently, from Reeves. Love when... Keanu's enthusiasm. Yeah. It's great. I mean, he, he's a less uh, he's a less toxic uh, Tom Cruise. Like, kind of Tom Cruise's enthusiasm for his work is really endearing but, but also, also dangerous <laughs> yeah yeah did yeah um so um like if there's anything um like people really worry when <laughs> when 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 keanu reeves is trending <laughs> oh yeah about what what could possibly be revealed um or what could have unfortunately happened and and again the other with tom cruise <laughs> <laughs> that's what more could be revealed i think is the question with tom cruise and then the other big additions to the cast include Keen Peel as Bunny and Ducky. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, I saw I saw that um uh uh that Peel was um um Bunny. Yeah. Or sorry, that that um I yeah, I did I didn't see I didn't see Jordan Peel in the um cast listing. No. Uh, but yeah, and apparently like it was great because the Pixar guys knew immediately which one was going to be which because it was like, despite the fact that Key is, you know, several feet taller than Peel, um, he was like, he has more energy, so he's going to be Ducky, apparently, whereas Peel will be the more sort of grounded bunny. And they talked about how like um, what they did was they recorded um, some of the dialogue. They tried to group the actors together when they shared scenes. It's so like Tom Hanks uh, recording a lot of dialogue with Annie Potts, who plays Bo Peep. And we're probably going to talk a bit more about Bo Peep in a moment. But the issue with um, Key and Peel is apparently they brought them in and they spent the, you know, several days with them just improvising. Um, Key tells this story where the Pixar guys like came into them from behind the booth and they're like, we really love what you guys are doing. We think it's really great. And it's like, I want to ask you a question and we want you to feel free to say no. Um, no pressure whatsoever. But we're thinking like, so when Buzz tells you, when Woody tells you he's going to get you a kid and you're going to be reunited with Bonnie and she'll love you, I think maybe you guys could sing a song. Would you guys be cool with that? And and Key and Peele were like, yeah, we'll, we'll sing a song. Yeah, let's, let's do a song. What do you want us to sing? And it's like, well, we were kind of hoping you could improvise that. Um, <laughs> and apparently uh, Key and Peele, by their own account, spent half an hour um, singing random songs and sort of the bits of music and snippets of dialogue, of which only 30 seconds appear in the finished cut of the film, faded in the background, uh, which is quite cool as well, I have to admit. Also worth noting that the actor who played, was it um, Giggles McDimples or Dimples McGiggles? Um, she noted that she had to spend a solid three days recording laugh sounds. Um, like it was like this is a funny laugh this is hilarious this is a humoring laugh this is a mildly amused laugh um, but apparently just getting the right sort of soundboard she's joked about wanting her own laugh soundboard that she can use on her phone 
of the various recordings that she did sort of like in putting together this movie. Um, but yeah, let's talk a little bit then about Bo Peep, actually. Because um, this is the thing where Bo Peep was apparently always the nexus of the story. We talked about Forky as the character design that inspired the film. And you're right in probably noting that there's a bit of push and pull between them. Bo Peep was the character who inspired the film. And in fact, it was John Lasseter was originally supposed to direct the movie. He originally latched on to the idea that in Toy Story 3, there's... Bo Peep is present in Toy Story and Toy Story uh, 2. In fact, actually, in Toy Story 4, when she greets uh, Buzz as her moving buddy, that's a reference to the first Toy Story where they are moving buddies. But she wasn't present in Toy Story 3, and the reason given was that she had been sold, which you see the events in Toy Story 4. But the inciting sort of movement for the plot was the question of what happened to Bo Peep like the absence that she was that was felt in Toy Story 3 and that was what drew Lasseter originally I think Stanton as well to the plot was this idea of Bo Peep and Lasseter described the plot in 2015 as Buzz and Woody going out into the world to bring Bo Peep back to the household which is interesting given the direction that the story ultimately took and again, this this feels like it's a result of things that are happening sort of in Pixar at the same time, because you mentioned Rashida Jones and Will McCormick. Right. They were brought in by Lasseter because he wanted um, different perspectives on the script. He wanted somebody from outside Pixar to look at it. And in particular, he wanted a feminine voice uh, for a script that was going to be heavily focused on a female character. Uh, we talked about this a bit on the Coco episode. Uh, Rashida Jones um, and Will McCormick both left the project, I think around about 2017, around the same time, if not a little bit before the John Lasseter Me Too stuff broke, because they felt that their voices uh, and the voices of women at the studio in particular were being overlooked and ignored and that they weren't being sort of like properly heard. They're being locked out of what was described as the boys club. And in fact, like there was uh, an article, I think, that was published in... Was it the um, the Hollywood Reporter by Cassandra uh, Schmolsik, who was an animator at Pixar, who talked about how she felt like she was sort of excluded and how her perspective was marginalized and stuff like that as well around the same time. And what happened is that after Lasseter left, there was a kind of a push within Pixar to become more inclusive and more diverse. You noticed uh, inclusivity. Um, yeah, there was well. a um, inclusion strategy team. Yes, that worked on this as well. And we talked about we talked about Coco as well, where Coco made a point to include more diverse voices as well. Um, and in particular, it was like directed by a, a Latino man as well, or you know, sort of in consultation with as well. And the script was worked on as well. And with Toy Story Four, Josh Cooley, who directed it, has argued that like his main inspiration for Bo Peep was his wife, who when he first moved to California. They would drive past the Pixar lot every morning and his wife would say, you're going to work there one day. He was unemployed at the time. He didn't believe that was going to happen. And he was he he was initially quite angry and resentful at her for saying that because he felt like it was a reminder every day of how much he was failing as a person. And then he came later on to appreciate that when he did not have strength or faith, uh, she did. Um, I don't see what that has to do with Bo Peep in the movie. Yeah, well, that that's that's the story that he tells about how he felt like Bo Peep should be the nexus for the... We're going to... Okay, give me a second here. With Bo Peep in the movie, what happened was that they brought in... A, there was a team called... It was uh, Team Bo, which included a lot of uh, women animators and women writers. And what they would do is they would actually... And Cooley's talked about this. There would be times when he would pitch ideas for the character... And he would be told that this is not what a woman would say in this situation. This is what a man thinks a woman would say in this situation. Right. And how the character was kind of guarded and protected and kind of like 
kind of directed uh, to a certain extent by this team within Pixar. This sort of like this group of mainly okay. female animators. Because that makes more sense. Yeah. Because what you're saying is, is like, oh, he had this idea for for who Bo was as like this very supportive wife, and it's like, well, that's not. That's not, not the, the, the role the, that she plays yeah, in Toy Story 4. As, as she turned out to be, no. Well, I mean, this is this is one of the things with Bo this Peep. Is better. This is much the, better. That's the, that's the, clear, the, yeah. the, the, the the Bo Peep that we see. Although, but, like, I'm, I still wasn't really satisfied with kind of how it was resolved because it 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 means a lot more to um to Woody that he's um going to get with um Bo Peep uh, than it does Bo Peep than it does for Bo Peep that she's going to end up with Woody. Yeah. Um, and again, it, it's worth pointing out in this context that, like, one of the big pushes with Bo Peep was that one of the reasons she doesn't she doesn't join the toys on the mission to rescue Woody in Toy Story Two, and one of the reasons that was given in the Art of Toy Story Three for writing her out of the story was because she was too fragile. She was porcelain, right. um, and so she was too easy. She too she'd break too easily. There was also a sense that Bo Peep in the original Toy Story was a late addition to the script. They originally wanted Woody's girlfriend to be a Barbie. But Mattel sort of held back the rights on that because they didn't know that Toy Story was going to be a success. Ironically, Toy Story 2 has them going to a toy store where they meet tour guide Barbie. And Barbie becomes a major character in Toy Story 3 where she ends up with Ken. Uh, but Bo Peep was very much sort of like a surplus to requirement character in Toy Story 1 and Toy Story 2, narratively speaking. And what's interesting is that a large part of Toy Story 4's use of Bo Peep seems to exist primarily to refute that idea. Because you have... Like that wonderful joke with her arm, because she is made of porcelain and she does break. But when yeah. she breaks, she just sellotapes herself back up again. Like when when Woody pulls her arm off after they fall together to the ground, he's horrified. He's horrified. He's like terrified. He's worried that he's broken her, and she just she plays along, uh, and then she laughs at the idea and sellotapes herself up, and it's never spoken of again, which is remarkable. It's a wonderful portrayal. It's a nice little touch, I think. Yeah. It's a very nice piece of characterization, I would argue. Uh, but yeah, and I think that's kind of an interesting sort of example of Pixar sort of moving. Because obviously, this is a movie that to a certain extent exists as a mark of a studio in transition. It was originally meant to be a John Lasseter movie and became something else entirely. It was a movie that was produced while John Lasseter was sort of like left Pixar and while Pixar had to find a new voice. Um, and so I kind of, it's... Yeah, I can imagine a lot of people being involved with it. Um, just thinking, oh, fuck this. Yeah. Like, um, you know, would it be because of probably how um, much John Lasseter was involved in it? Yeah. Like, kind of, is this fun anymore to kind of be associated kind of attached with this? Yeah. yeah, I think that it may, I think that it ended up, they made it their own as well. Like, I think yeah. that it's, it's no, very. I think they did, but it, 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 it can't have been easy. No. And for, for I, I guess, what you were saying as well about like uh, Rashida Jones kind of um, and a Will McCormick walking Will McCormick, away. yeah, yeah, not feeling kind of um, listened too, to, um, happy about kind of the the whole situation. I mean, it it is worth noting again. Annie Potts has talked about how like she was recording the part for Bo Peep, and it would change. She recorded the part over four years, and it would change with each with each draft of the script. She didn't know how important she was to the film until she saw the final well, cut of the film. I think that would happen. That happened with all of. Of them, yeah. like there is so much, kind of. Um, it's like when they talk about the production, it's kind of strange because it it's like they're recording all of this stuff that's never that never kind of um, sees the light of day. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, one of the interesting things about we talk about Spider Man uh, into the Spider Verse that 
DVD or Blu-ray has an entire alternate cut of the movie in it pieced together from like recordings that were made during the sessions as the story sort of changed as it went. And I think it's very telling that like the story of Toy Story 4 begins with John Lasseter wanting to tell a story about Woody and Buzz going out, finding Bo Peep and bringing her back back. to the household and like reinforcing the old status quo and kind of having a happily ever after and kind of like everything being the same as it ever was. And the writers and producers who worked on the film talking about finding the ending where Woody leaves Bonnie and where Woody goes out and is lost, but not really lost, around halfway through production, which would be about 2017, which would be when Lasseter left and when sort of like Cooley came in and when you started seeing like Team Bo develop. And it's kind of, it feels, it does feel like it's a product of a change in in that sense. And I kind of like that even from the rough outlines that we have, because we'll never actually get the truth of, of everything that happened behind the scenes, I suspect. There's there's probably far too many NDAs and, and that sort of stuff going on to ever get a rich accounting of what actually happened and how everything changed and when everything changed. But based on like the statements that we have made in public and tracking the film, it does feel like there was a shift. And I kind of, it feels like the Toy Story 4 well, that we ended up with. group. <laughs> or the build a forky. <laughs> we'll never, we'll, 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 we'll never <laughs> let you know. Illuminati confirmed. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really like that, and I think that it, it kind of, it, it gives Toy Story four a heft for me that feels earned because again, it feels I like. By the way, love the small part that the um, hedgehog. Uh, uh, Timothy Dalton. Yes. Yeah, I wanted <laughs> to see more, more. Um, Timothy. I want to I was meant to play the hat salesman that was the part I was born to play um and I do love Dolly sort of managing it I actually like one of the things I really like about Toy Story 4 and it's a subtle thing but I really appreciate it is the idea that like Andy's toys are particularly insane right so you have like because you have ignoring the unicorn who's obsessed with getting Bonnie's oh, Jeff, dad arrested Jeff Garland's uh, unicorn yeah. yeah who's obsessed with getting Bonnie's dad arrested but generally speaking Dolly runs a very tight ship it's only the toys from Woody's room who tend to cause the most trouble they're the ones who get like into the bizarre situations and orchestrate all the insane plots and again this is a result of them being the oh, characters no, of Toy Story I, I feel like um Mr. Potato Head's probably kind of um, fairly kind of, you know, okay to 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 keep things. Uh... <laughs> well, he wasn't he the one who tried to lynch Woody in the first film? Mr. Potato Head was, was like the guy who was like wanted to kill Woody after Woody almost accidentally killed Buzz. Um, no and again like Rex my anxiety is attacking Um, (laughs) but even like Jesse who pricks the wheel of the kind of truck and stuff like that and you know Mrs. Potato Head who's involved in sort of like getting Triceratops Trixie the Triceratops who I love I love Trixie's Uh, Woody I have a question actually I have all of the questions Um, but I like the idea that like Woody's that Andy's toys are like a bad influence that like everybody else's toys are relatively well behaved but Andy's are just like this sort of like almost you know anarchistic force uh, within sort of the world of Toy Story which explains maybe why my toys never did anything crazy like ruin my vacation I don't know I I think I think Ducky and (laughs) And um, Bonnie and Bonnie I I don't I don't know I, I think I think your your theory that Andy's toys um are inherently more crazy than the other toys has no merit whatsoever. That that's fair as well. I do, um, the plush rush is amazing. I know that I know that we we know we shouldn't go scene by scene of things that we loved because we'll be talking about the, the entire film. But the plush rush sequence is amazing. The um the sequence where they're 
again, this is one of the ones where I was laughing so hard. I think I may have been wheezing. Um, yeah. And I'd seen I'd seen it before. I know it again in the in the after credits. As yes, well, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, with the gigantic. Can you really shoot lasers from your eyes? <laughs> um, but again, like the, the the whole sequence where they rise up. But I like how long it goes on yes, for. That's, that's so it, like it really makes me happy when 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 there's something goes on like far too long. Um, like a podcast it's, for example yeah exactly um, alright then so is there anything else you want to talk about anything that we haven't discussed already in terms of Toy Story 4 um, I did like this scene when the like like I, I, I liked an awful lot so it would be and we can't go through every single scene uh, but Darren says some, as he lifts out the script some, some, something that I thought was very relatable was um, Andy's dad in the car like screaming it's a rental bon- oh, I don't know what I'm Bonnie, doing Bonnie's dad yes yeah yeah um, oh yes of course yeah uh, um, <laughs> the uh, police where, officers yeah yeah where because I, I've had that situation renting a car where I'm leaving and I'm trying to kind of and it's nighttime and I'm trying to turn the lights on and people are like kind of shouting at me and, I, and I, I'm like trying to going for the window and then rolling it down and shouting I it's a rental I have no I, how does this work um, you're trying to press every single button yeah um, also worth noting actually that it has been a terrible summer for movies bo- uh, in terms of oh, the, yeah. the box office as well and it's also not Godzilla's been Godzilla's a- been terrible that X-Men uh, uh, Dark Phoenix as well Men in Black International oh yeah um, it's been a not been a great summer outside Shocking. of Shocking yeah um, and it's kind of interesting like this is a highlight of the summer for me actually just in terms of that but it's also interesting to note that this has been the summer also like stop watching stop releasing movies in the summertime let people go outside get some sun yeah, you shouldn't have to record podcasts in the middle of the <laughs> in <summer>. July. <laughs> I, love, I love that Andrew is sort of like we're reaching the stage where Andrew is going to run away to a fairground. Um, it's, it's all right, Andrew. It'll yeah, be all right. But it won't. The end podcast the same will be way all right. <laughs> where, where I decide that actually, for no reason, I want to continue. Yeah. Uh, um, it is worth noting actually that there's been a nice recurring motif this summer of killer of sort of killer of- toys. Uh, the Toys of Summer, I think, slash film has described it. Oh, yeah. But apparently, Charles, Charles' play um, is supposed to be not that bad. And actually, the... Um, There's an Annabelle sequel coming out as the well. The theme um, uh, fits quite well with with stuff that's happening, which is which is that the, the, in, in, in the first Charles' play movie, it was um, the soul of a, a criminal... But Brad in, Dorf? in 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 the sec in sorry in the reboot the second, in, in the reboot. reboot in the reboot that they just have it's not inherently evil it's the it's it's, it's a switch artificial intelligence <laughs> yeah. um, played by Mark Hamill but as yeah, programmed but by it, a, a sweatshop but worker that it as picks as well. up on um, on other people's kind of um, Moves, anger yeah. and yeah um, which again is a nice little metaphor did you notice that the have you seen the advertising for um, Child's Play. Because Child's Play was Child's Play was released around the same time as it was released the same weekend as Toy Story Four, and so they embarked on a guerrilla marketing campaign. Um, so that what they did is I heard that they didn't let the critics uh, um, watch it. They let the critics watch it, but they embargoed reviews until the day of release, which was a bad decision given how far, given how well loved the movie was. Yeah. Um, which you know shows that kind of studios maybe don't have a good reading on their own films before they screen them. But like the posters for Toy Story Four for Child's Play were all very explicitly modeled on Toy Story to the point where they had um 
Chucky murdering um, all of the toys from Andy's sort of loft. So they had him, for example, killing and de-stuffing Woody. They had him roasting um, Stretch alive. They had him gutting Mr. Potato Head. They, uh, yeah, so it was pretty, pretty dark, but I do quite like um, that sort of like level of playfulness there. I think it's quite clever as well. So I do like a good guerrilla marketing campaign myself. Fantastic. All right. So I think that about wraps it up in terms of our discussion of Toy Story 4, unless there's anything else you want to talk about. Um, no. No, I think I'm okay. All right, then. So do you have anything that you would like to recommend for listeners? Anything you'd like to draw their attention to? I had something, but I have forgotten. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I would like to recommend, actually, um, Luke and Jess, who were on the podcast last week talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Next Generation. They were supposed to be releasing this weekend and very generously gave up this thought so that we could release this podcast talking about Toy Story 4. So I think it, it's worth giving a shout out to the Breakout Absolutely. World podcast, um, which they'll be launching later this month. So in July 2019, if you're listening backwards, where they're going to be talking through the roles of uh, kind of the breakout roles, as it were, of famous actors. The first, first and ro- lead roles. That's yeah. it, exactly. The first important roles or roles that they're associated with. And they're going to be doing, I think, Valley Girl with Nicolas Cage in a couple of weeks. Um, so that's very worth seeking out. That'll be on uh, at Breakout Role Pod, but also at Film in Dublin as well. So check that out. I would wholeheartedly recommend. All right, then, Andrew, if people are looking for a bit more Andrew in their lives, where can they find you online? A-Q-U-I-N-N-I. UQA. Uh, and if you're looking for me, you can find me at Darren underscore Mooney. You can also follow the podcast at At The 250. You can listen to us on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, on iTunes. If you like us, please feel free to leave a review or a comment. If you don't like us, please don't do that. Um, but also... <laughs> please leave terrible reviews. <laughs> no, don't, don't do that. Um, but also, uh, yeah, so we'll be back next week. And we'll have the great Phil Bagnall on, who'll be talking to us about Trois Rouge. Au revoir. Bon voyage. You got a friend in me You got a friend in me You got a friend in me